Welcome to the CondoVultures.com podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski, a Miami real estate broker, Wall Street consultant, and expert witness. This podcast is focused on identifying real estate buying opportunities in the South Florida condo market, Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. The CondoVultures.com podcast is not authorized by the South Florida real estate industry and will most likely annoy many of the region's talking heads. This podcast will feature straight talk and salty language that could be offensive to some. Please remember that part that past investment success does not determine future gains, especially in the South Florida's volatile condo market. For more information, please visit condovultures.com. Welcome to the condovultures.com podcast. I'm Peter Zaluski. I'm the host of this podcast. This is podcast number six of season number one. I'm a little surprised that it's already episode six. We actually began this whole podcast series when the COVID-19 crisis was first hitting, when uh, Florida was being put out on a stay-at-home order. Basically, there was nothing else to do. Heard an interview with Mark Cuban, the billionaire who owns the NBA uh, franchise Dallas Mavericks. He suggested use this downtime to do something productive. So after thinking about doing podcasts for quite some time, Lo and behold, we went ahead and we launched this. What is the point of the podcast? Podcast is meant to educate uh, the audience, not only about some of the basics of investing in real estate in South Florida, but also what's going on in terms of the marketplace, what's key, what's critical, things like that. So as you look at the podcast, you'll see a series of uh, different podcasts. Some will range on current events. Others will range on just some of the tidbits that are involved with that. For this particular podcast, we are going to talk to Daniel Jaramillo. Daniel is the CEO of a, uh, a property management company that also owns its own units. Overall, uh, Daniel's group uh, is managing about 2,700 units, 1,000 of which uh, his organization owns outright. The other 1,700 units they're uh, managing on behalf of others. What we're going to get into with this podcast is we're going to talk about the financing. Financing is becoming a much more difficult for uh, multifamily uh, transactions. We're also going to talk about collecting rent. Everyone knows that uh, you know these are tough times economically. You don't necessarily have a lot of cash laying around. Do you pay your rent? And if you don't pay your rent, what does it mean? Daniel's going to give us some perspective about what it means to be a landlord. And how do you go about collecting those rents? He'll also discuss a little bit about uh, vacancies or, or defaults, delinquencies, people who aren't necessarily paying. Uh, in addition to that, Daniel will get into some Section 8 housing. Daniel, uh, one of the areas that he specializes in is Section 8, so he'll navigate us through the pros and cons of Section 8 housing. And then finally, he'll discuss uh, a brand new rental project that he's doing in Texas. And surprisingly, I guess the uh, cost of materials are going down. So this might actually be a good time to start building. Why? Because you might be able to save on the overall development costs. Very interesting conversation. Those will be the first two segments of the podcast. The next two segments, or the final two segments, uh, segment number three and segment number four, uh, we're going to be kicking it around with two former journalists, John Fackler, as well as Oscar Musabai, as well as myself. We'll talk about headlines that have been made in the last week and how they impact or are impacting the South Florida marketplace. And then finally, in the segment number four, we're going to uh, read some of the comments that we've received from you, our audience, uh, telling us uh, what we're doing right, telling us what we're doing wrong. If you want to write in and give us your opinion, we encourage you to do so. We'll read it on the air and we'll discuss it. Uh, to send an email, send it to inquiry at condovultures.com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y, inquiry at condovultures.com. 
Buckle up, get ready for a very interesting and informative podcast. We know you're going to get some laughs along the way, and we hope you enjoy it. So right after this uh, commercial break, we'll begin the podcast with Daniel Haramil of Strategic Properties out of Greater Downtown Miami. Enjoy. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of Greater Downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County, South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome to Condo Vultures Podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. As I mentioned in the intro, um, I have the pleasure, and you will as well, of listening and discussing what's going on in the rental markets as well as the investor market with somebody who's been on the ground for a number of years. I've known him way back in the day during the run-up of the last real estate cycle in South Florida. Basically, he set up a business in uh, 2006. What they do is they invest in their own units and they also manage them, not only their own units, but uh, units on behalf of corporate ownership. Gentleman's name is Daniel Jaramillo. Daniel is the CEO of a company called Strategic Properties located over in the Edgewater area of uh, Greater Downtown Miami. Now, what's interesting about Daniel's organization is they're running about 2,700 units, 1,000 of which they own, 1,700 they have no equity stake in. And uh, what they do is they basically use software. They're using back office operations in, uh, locally as well as other countries to really bring efficiency to the rental game, especially from a landlord perspective. So I want to introduce Daniel. Daniel, how's it going? Good, Peter. Thank you for having me. Uh, that was a really good introduction. Oh, wow. Wow. A lot of times I get uh, get complaints. People say I'm a little bit uh, short and <laughs> I, I don't blow enough smoke up their ass. <laughs> <laughs> that was good enough for me. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, listen, it's our pleasure. D- Daniel, rules of engagement. Um, we're, we'd like to do two segments with you. Uh, the, the audience has sort of gotten accustomed to that. First segment is going to be about you, how you kind of got to where you are. Second segment, once I, I slip in a commercial, because I'm going to try to hawk them stuff. On the other side of the commercial, I want to talk about what you're seeing uh, from a market perspective, as well as big picture perspectives. I want to talk to you ideally about what you're seeing uh, from, a, from a property management uh, angle, what you're seeing from an investor angle, and then maybe ask you to look into your crystal ball and, and help us understand what might be coming down the pipe. How's that sound? Sounds great. All right. Um, one, one other rule of engagement. Um, salty language is permitted. So if you need to curse, feel free to let it go. We do a comment section at the end of every single one of our podcasts, and we got a running score. Two people do not like the salty language. One person likes it. So right now it's kind of neck and neck. So we're, we're going to continue with the salty language until there's an overriding majority that says don't use it. But I think most people sort of like, uh, you know, mix it in a couple words because in the, at the end of the day, it's real. It's real. Sounds good. I'll keep it as real as I can. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Daniel, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what brought you to Miami, simply because no one is originally from Miami. If you do meet somebody from Miami, uh, they're called a unicorn. So how'd you get to Miami? So, yeah, so I'm originally Colombian. And um, back in 1999, Colombian was struggling through uh, security problems, basically, uh, our family was threatened by by the guerrillas, and uh, we had to leave in, in less than ten days. 
So after a, a, a real threat, a very specific threat. So we left everything behind, friends, family, uh, my, my university I was studying back then was my first year. So I ended up graduating from economics here in, in, uh, in Miami. And, um, and then we started with our real estate, with my real estate career in 2006. Wow. So, so let, let me ask you, 1999, bad times in Colombia. Go to Colombia now. Well, obviously we can't go now because of COVID, but go to Colombia now. And man, this place has turned around. It is booming. It's got to be one of the most desirable markets in Latin America from an investment as well as a tourist perspective. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Colombia, the, the, the cool thing about Colombia was that it was set in this, it was suspended in time for so long in terms of international investment because of the guerrillas. Once that was taken care of and, and also the, the drug lords, once those two things were under control, which basically they are down to 5% of what they were at their, at their, at their peak, mm-hmm. then uh, it, foreign investment flooded the economy. So the, that was great for Colombia. It's still great. The, right now, even I trusted so much that we ended up using uh, Bogota as the, our back office center where we have about 32 people managing all of our day-to-day operations. Well, fascinating. So, so, so your back office in terms of uh, what, asking people, where's the rent, uh, processing lease applications, um, anything and everything re- related to that, most of it's being done uh, offshore in Colombia? That's correct. It, it, put it this way. If it can be done on a screen, it's done in Colombia. Nice. So we, we have uh, four different departments, which are maintenance, leasing, uh, accounts receivable and accounting, and each one has a head manager. And all of those tasks are handled from over there. If, if we have a property here, like in Atlanta, for instance, and it has a phone number on it, every single call that goes to that number or to our main number in, in our property management company goes first to Columbia rather than the other way around. Now, when someone pays their rent to your uh, organization, whether it's for your properties you own or those that you're managing, the money obviously stays here. The bank accounts are here. That is correct. Got yes. It, we, it, everything it. is handled from, yeah, they, they do the clicks, but the money stays here in the U.S. Got it. Now, now not to get into uh, how you pay, and I'm sure you're paying your employees very well, but generally speaking, what's the back office um, savings by having those some, the same types of services in Colombia versus in the United States? Well, last time I did the math, yeah. we were at 40 uh, at 40- Two percent of what what I would uh, have to pay here in the U.S. So for every ten thousand dollars I would pay here in the U.S., I was basically down to about forty two hundred. Thing is that with uh, what just happened with the COVID uh, nineteen, the dollar strength versus the peso almost twenty percent, like fifteen percent. Okay. So now that means it's even less expensive uh, what we're doing over there. Wow. And obviously, um, uh, some of our clientele or some of our audience that's listening. And by the way, our audience, uh, according to uh, analytics, we got people from Hong Kong, Singapore, London, uh, Nicaragua, just everywhere around the world. Uh, but, but basically for our, uh, our audience, assuming they go ahead and they buy something in the United States, um, you guys are open to taking on new clients from a management perspective? We are. We, in the four markets that we're currently are in, of course, with our South uh, South Florida, Atlanta, 
Missouri, we're in St. Charles and St. Louis okay. and uh, in McAllen, Texas. So any of those markets, absolutely yes. If it's a new market, since we're doing everything from a back office, we would be doing willing to do it as long as it's more than 200 units. Got it. So, yeah. And, and so you're not overwhelmed with information. Uh, when, when you guys enter into an agreement, is there any kind of term that you're looking at minimum? If so, you're going to bring on somebody new, it's five years, it's a year, anything like that, there where maybe somebody's on the fence and you can tell them something and, and maybe, hey, they call sure. you right away or, or, or no, they don't call you because it doesn't meet their criteria? It's always one year commitment. And the reason why is because the first three months, it's a big investment on our part to set up their properties, set them up on, a, on, a, on our system to, be, to have all the tenants uh, pay their, their monthly rent. And then after the year, they can leave if they want to. There's no penalty for, for leaving the contract. It hasn't really happened that way. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, our, our owners like to stick with us. But, uh, but yes, we, we do offer that option. Now, now, in terms of this property management aspect, and I want to get in the investor side as well, but the property management aspect, let me, let me guess. Basically, you, you're, you bought a bunch of properties. You needed to create a, a process that was efficient to run them. And then as time went by, people said, hey, I like what you're doing. Can you do it for us? Is that how it, how it morphed or you want to walk us through it or give us some idea how it evolved? So, yes, I, I started, believe it or not, with one property. And uh, we, we as, a, as an owner, of course, and that portfolio grew to about 300 units as owners with money from other investors as well. By the time and, we- re- And to stop you there, Daniel, if I sure. could, now you were buying them, you were accumulating so many because you were buying during a downturn, during that, a great recession. That is correct, yes. So you, you were picking off units. What, what, what kind of prices were you paying per door or what kind of discount were you, were you getting at the time when you were building up your portfolio? Well, I, the first properties I started with, uh, like multifamily in, in a same type market, uh, I, yep. I started as low as $16,000 a door. Whoa, 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 time out. One six? That is correct. Yes. Uh, that was uh, around 2003, 2004. It was our first multifamily that, uh, that I bought. For uh, for six, it was sixteen units at sixteen thousand dollars each, and uh, and I learned a lot from that one. It was in 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 a Liberty City C type neighborhood, really rough area, and and those properties then you know increased in value as the years came by. We ended up start then kept buying in better markets at thirty thousand dollars a door, forty thousand dollars a door, <laughs> and kept going up and up. And you know the story because you met me while while I was uh, while I was buying. At the top market too, uh, I'll, I'll be you know completely honest here. I I didn't see the last bus come, and I I ended up buying at a, a pretty high prices too, like many others did. So I was hurt on the on that downturn. No doubt. I, I think everybody was though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so j- just to give the audience because they're they're saying shit, sixteen grand a door. Give them an idea. Uh, have you sold them? And if you if you did, how much did you get per door? And if you haven't, what's the latest valuation on them? Just, just for color. Sure. So those units are, those, like I said, Liberty City, mm-hmm. we ended up selling them just about three years ago only. And uh, we ended up selling them at $80,000. Well done. And you were cash flow positive the whole way? Oh, yeah. Because these properties have started with rents of uh, of four hundred and fifty dollars, so it was basically almost three percent rents on a, on a monthly basis. Uh, it was 
plenty of cash flow. It, it depended on management too, because at the beginning I was so bad at it, like so many evictions, so many people took advantage of, of our ignorance in uh, in managing it that it, it wasn't working well. But after we got the the, the gist of it, then, uh, then things started turning around pretty quick and there was plenty of cash flow. Uh, on this particular property now that you were asking, I was able during the, <laughs> during the, the, the good times, I was able to put three loans, three loans. Yeah. So first mortgage, second mortgage, and third mortgage, all with the same bank. Wow. But um, what, I, I got loans up to $800,000 when I, when I had bought the property for $300,000. <laughs> so I didn't, I, I didn't even have to sell it. I just had to go to the bank and ask for like an ATM, right? And, and ask for money. And I went all the way up to $800,000 on it. Well done. Well done. Tip of the hat to you for that. Now, <laughs> now, you. now your, your strategy. Um, well, I don't want to get in the investor side, but I, 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 I do. I, I want to know if you guys are like a buy and hold or if you guys just buy them and then you time it on the cycle. But, but let's put that question on hold. Let me ask you a little bit more about the property management. So, um, so you acquired your own units, you set up your own back operation. You, you learned uh, the industry, everything was set up. And then uh, who contacted you or how they contact you? And when did you start to actually provide what you were doing internally to, uh, to others uh, for a fee? There was a, a big jump that when we were at 300 units and we decided to buy a property in Atlanta, which we still hold. Okay. It was 200 units. We syndicated that deal, meaning that we were we found investors from uh, including Columbia, actually, that were interested in getting into real estate. So we offer that. Now, typically for, for a property that size, if you were going to get a loan, a bank it was going to be requesting experience, was going to, you know, seeing that there's a company behind it. So we said, okay, let's do it. Like we already have everything in place, but we don't have a name. We just need to formalize it basically. So we, we opened up the, the Strategic Properties LLC and start offering and use that with the that the very first property in the 300 existing units, and uh, and then others came. Uh, we we haven't really marketed our service. I I don't. I'm not really good at it, to tell you the truth. But uh, you're, you're, uh, but your there's story sounds pretty good. good. Of your, your story sounds pretty good. I don't, <laughs> know, I don't. You know. You don't. You might not consider yourself good at marketing, but that's a pretty damn good story. <laughs> that's it, people care about results. Yep. So that's, that's why we ended up, and, and that's how strategic properties started working, and that's how we differentiated from others. Pro, uh, most people think that uh, property management is babysitting. It's like, like uh, collecting the rents, paying the, the bills, and it should be everything okay from there. It's not. That's, that's not the way it works. The, the, if you want to be effective at it, you need to be geared. Everything has to be geared towards results, KPIs. So we've um uh by the way key performance indicators for those that don't know so we we track every single piece of data on our on our system so that we know who's performing well like which property's performing well or which of our own employees are performing well versus the the, the rest 
So that's how we're able to maximize results on our on all of our products. So, so that is a good teaser there as well, because what you are suggesting is you're going to give us some uh, some insight as to who's actually paying the rent in the days of COVID. But again, I want to do that on the second segment because I want to sneak in a commercial sure. and have the uh, the audience just sort of waiting there, getting through the commercial in order to hear what you got to say. So, okay, understood that. Now, tell me a little bit about the investor side. Um, in terms of you actually putting your own cash, your organization putting your own cash and buying units. Um, how frequently, how often are you doing that? Is that the is that the preferred method, or are you guys more property managers? How, how do you sort of when, when you wake up, you're thinking half my day is going towards investor, the investor aspect, and the other half's going towards property management, or how does this sort of shake out? Sure. There, there's three ways of increasing your property management portfolio. Okay. So the simplest the simplest way is uh, just by finding people that, or, or them finding you that need property management. So it's just a basic contract in which, sure, we'll manage your property, you you pay us a fee and that's it. So that's, that's the simplest version of it. The second version is by syndication. So doing with what we did with this 200 unit apartment building in, in Atlanta, which is find a great opportunity, find investors, find a loan, buy it. And because we found it, we end up managing it. So that, that, that would be the, the second way of, of, of increasing your portfolio. The, the, the third one is by buying sets of, um, of, of portfolios that people no longer want to manage. So uh, like buying their contracts. And, and we do all three. Oh, interesting. Uh, with, so yeah, with syndication, the, the way it works in, uh, in right now, depending on the, on the specific time. So for instance, uh, when when there's deals to be made, I do. I'm actively looking for deals and for investors. Put everything together, and and do what I call like a triple leverage, which is find a bank that's going to leverage our investment, find an investor that's going to put in ninety percent of the equity necessary, and then the remaining ten I put up half, and the other half friends and family. So that's a triple leverage Got there. It. So the the last deal we did was 300 units, $30 million in, in McAllen, Texas. Um, we had to come up with close to $500,000 for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and so, so people are sitting there at home and they're saying, okay, you're in Florida, you're in Georgia, you're in Missouri, you're in Texas. What, what, what is the common denominator? Is it just price or is there a certain demographic in terms of uh, uh, socioeconomics, in terms of what they're willing to spend? for the units or I, I, how do you guys decide uh, whether you're going to go to Idaho next, or you're going to go into uh, orange County where Orlando is? Sure. It, those, those, well, first Florida happened because I live here. Atlanta happened because my partner lives there. And and we ended up, since we're local, you, when you are local, you end up finding deals. And then Missouri, Missouri and Texas happen through relationships. Uh, I, I am a panelist in, um, in several seminars across the U.S., so I go to New York, Dallas, um, the one in Orlando too. I've, I've done, I do at least eight seminars every year in which I'm a panelist, wow. and I end up finding relationships there. And we were approached by these two different oper- or owners yep. that were struggling with their operation, and they wanted somebody to to take over, and they saw something about our model that it struck their attention and we decided to partner up that way. So that's how we ended up in Missouri. 
we actually ended up investing into those properties because we saw an opportunity there. And we did the same thing with McAllen, even though it's a new construction. So yeah, that's more or less how we, 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 we end up stretching out to, to different areas. And I, I do want to say this. R remember that our, the, the other thing that we have in common here is our back end, which is in Colombia. 80 to 90% of everything that it's done in our company is done from our back office center. So if somebody in Cleveland, whatever, wants their property management done, we can do it. It's, it's, it we really don't require many people on site. So, yeah, that's the other thing. Okay, so if we talk about parts of the Midwest or if we talk about the United States and we talk, and not to get into politics, but some people are pro and some people are anti-immigrant, all that type of stuff. The question that'll pop up in some people's minds is, yeah, but do they speak English? And I know the answer, you know the answer, sure. but let's just tell the audience in case there's any hesitation there. Right. Yeah, everybody in our staff is bilingual. And um, and and you were talking just about Colombia. Yep. Colombia is now one is the preferred country in Latin America for contact centers. And it has in many, re one of the main reasons is, is language and uh, the accent, it's, it's fairly easier to, to correct rather than your typical Indian accent, which is very strong. Yes. So we, we have that part. We have the, the, also the same, um, we're on the same time zone. And the people in Colombia, and you know this too, Peter, uh, we're, we're very mild. So we, we like to, we're not confrontational. So for our contact center is great because everybody that calls has a, wants to pick up a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Colombians <laughs> don't. They, 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 they don't. We, we try to mellow down the, the conversation, take it down to, to, to reasonable terms. And, and that's great for, for our contact center. So that's, it, it's great. And it, you are able to find, plenty of, of workforce there that, that now now daniel we're going to be taking a break because uh, we've already at the end of our first segment if you will but i want to ask you one question so maybe there's somebody in the audience out there who's listening and they're saying you know what i'm ready to get out of my place i own a let's call it 300 unit uh, uh multifamily uh out in um i don't know pick a place colorado um do you have any criteria that you might be able to put out in terms of age number of units dollar amount where if, if where they can make it, e you can make it easy for them. So you can either eliminate or you can inspire them to actually reach out to you and see if maybe you guys can do some business. What, uh, what I encourage them to, to do is reach out to us because what I have is what I call the LMOTT table, which is living money on the table uh, report. Okay. So they sent me their PNL for, for the last year. And I go line by line and tell them how much money they're leaving on the table. Nice. And um, so basically this tell last, last one I did just to go over a very simple yep. one, 66 units out of here in Fort, Fort Lauderdale. Yep. Uh, they were, it was a 12, $13 million portfolio. They netted a hundred thousand dollars for the year, even though they didn't have any, any, any debt. So it doesn't make any sense. And uh, what I, I, my, my LMOTT said that they were down $340,000. So basically, if we, we ended up taking over that portfolio and we're at 95% of our projections. So if we are able to finish 
the same way that we were are, we're at right now, they're going to be ending with a three hundred and twenty thousand dollar NOI versus a hundred thousand dollar NOI. So we we made them an extra two hundred and forty after paying our fees. Wow. So. I can do that for anybody, really, and show them what is it that they're leaving, the, the, the amount of money that they're leaving on the table. And, and, you, and you're open, again, to any age project, any any quantity of, of units. I mean, somebody's got eight units, they should contact you? Or, no, no. Okay. No, no. If, if it's in one of our markets, any number of units. Okay. If it's not on, in, any, in one of our markets, it has to be more than 200 units. It has to be more than 200 units. Okay, so that's the critical mass. That, that's the, the point where you guys get interested. Correct. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So um, why don't we cut now to a break um, uh, on the other side of this commercial? Uh, what I want to talk to you about is wh- what are you actually seeing? Are you still investing your money? Or are you waiting? You think prices are going to go down? You think they're going to go up? Are, are tenants paying the rent? If so, how hard is it to get it from them? Are you offering them any incentives? I want to get into all of that on the other side of the commercial. So um, you're listening to the Condo Vultures podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. I have Daniel Haramil from Strategic Properties. Uh, Daniel, by the way, before we go into that commercial, what's your uh, what's your website? Is it strategicproperties.com? That is correct. Okay, traditional spelling. No no crazy uh, customized spelling of anything? N- nothing, nothing. Straight up, strategicproperties.com. All right, perfect. So uh, you're listening to the Condo Vultures podcast. We'll catch you on the other side. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit CondoVultures.Eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. I have as a guest today, and hopefully all of you are enjoying it, we have Daniel Haramil. Daniel's the CEO of Strategic Properties. They're located over in the Edgewater area of greater downtown Miami. They basically are uh, running property management perspective, 2,700 units, 1,000 of which they have equity in. Daniel was telling us a little bit about how he got the business going, how they started off naive. They figured out uh, uh, the secret sauce. And lo and behold, now, not only are they buying from themselves, but they're also offering their services and their efficiencies to other uh, property owners in and around the United States. So, uh, uh, Daniel, let, let me ask you, I know at one point, and maybe you still do it today, um, uh, Section 8. Are you guys involved with Section 8 property management, ownership, uh, and what's been your experience? And can you maybe uh, address that uh, uh, in terms of uh, where we are in this current market? and uh, uh, COVID and people not being able to pay our rent. So if you could start with Section 8, and then I want to sort of ramp it up if possible. Sure. So fortunately, we are. We're still involved with Section 8 uh, units. All in all, I'd say we're at 26%, last we checked, of our portfolio being Section 8. Okay. Uh, but, but there are properties like uh, one that we have in Georgia that's 50% Section 8. Got it. It, so it, it, it really helps. Right now, it's it's great having these type of properties because even if the, the renters, as many of you who do have Section 8 tenants, will know that the renters do pay about 10 to 20 percent of, of their of the of the rent. Even if they lost their jobs, they can go back to a, their Section 8 office and ask for the Section 8 
uh, for the government to pay 100% of their rent while they're while they don't have a job. So uh, yes, we we still encourage having those type of units. And, and for somebody who's living in Hong Kong, they've heard Section Eight before, but they're not really sure what that is. Can you just give us like a real simplified general overview of what Section Eight is in the United States, and what are the pros and the cons? Sure, Section Eight is a is a as, as its name says, it's a section of the government um, act in which the it, it protects or it helps people that are in need of paying their rent. So whoever doesn't have enough income to pay for 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 the regular rent can go to a government office, which is federally backed, and ask for assistance. So some. Renters can get from anywhere from 50% of their rent paid by Section 8 all the way to 100%. And that depends on the, on the, on the level of income that they have and the composition of their family. So if they have uh, two kids, they need a two-bedroom apartment, then, uh, and depending on the type of income, if they make, I don't know, $1,500 a month, the government's going to ask them to pay 10% of that, which is $150, and the remaining of the rent will be paid by the by the government, you get it's it's um, it sounds great, it, it and it and it is in many ways, but it has its turtles, which are you have to approve, you have to pass inspections every year, you have to pass inspections when the tenant is requesting anything from Section Eight, so typically you're going to be spending more money on maintenance, and uh, you don't get your rent right away. But once you find a tenant, you're going to have to wait two to three months, but you're going to get all your rent payable after that on the first of each month. So it's a safe investment. People often don't like it for their buildings because it has a negative connotation uh, on the demographics. And, and that may well be the case. But for that, um, you know, you have screening as well. You don't have to accept everybody that has a Section 8 voucher. So got it. So so I think that's in a nutshell. I think uh, for people who today are going through this whole COVID crisis and the the CARES Act from the federal government, where you need to go to SBA.gov and fill out an application and you get this back and you got to supply that. I think they get a sense basically of what bureaucracy can be like. And ultimately, you might get that 10 grand or whatever the SBA is offering you. But you're going to but it's not easy money. And I, I think that would be a good um, I think it's anecdotal, but it can give you an idea of what maybe the Section 8 process could be like from a landlord's perspective. Sure, sure. And it, and it has many problems to it. You, 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 there, there are times where they are not paying your rent because you have an abatement, for instance. Uh, you didn't pass an inspection that maybe you, you, you were not notified. And, um, and you can get in, or you didn't ask for a rent increase when, when you were supposed to do so. So there, there's a lot of rules to it. But if you have an experienced property manager, then then it should be very easy for them. Wow. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. I haven't heard about organizations that actually would provide a service for something like Section Eight. So, um, if people are interested in that, is that something they can give you a they can uh, reach out to you about? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel, I didn't ask you to give your telephone number your or your email address. So, uh, do you want to give it right now, and then we'll we'll ask you for it again at the end of the segment. Sure. Our, our email, you can contact us at info at strategicproperties.com. Or if you want to contact me directly, uh, you can email me at DJ, like my initials, at strategicproperties.com. And our, our main number for, for our company is 305-717-6084. Again, that number is 
717-607-6084. Got it. Now, what would you like to dabble in first? You want to dabble in in terms of our discussion. You want to talk about it from an investor perspective and what you're looking for, whether or not you're wet and you want to wet your beak and take down some more units, hopefully at a cheaper price. Or do you want to talk about what you're seeing on the rental side in terms of people paying the rent and, and, and what you're having to do to make sure that the tenants uh, continue to occupy the place? I, I, I don't know if you have a preference, but I'll let you pick. Sure, we can start on the uh, on the management side of it, in which um, so what 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 kind of dog do you have? <laughs> a, a Australian Shepherd. Oh, it's a it's a new puppy. It's a new puppy. Nice, <laughs> nice. So you want to start on the management side? So sure. From, from a management perspective, um, basically, how occupied are your is your portfolio in terms of uh, occupancy? And um, what percentage were people paying rent before COVID? Let's, let's say before March. So we, we typically have a collection of about 93% across our portfolio. Bear in mind that this is, um, this are C class, a lot of them are C class, which typically the collection is only about 90% or 92%. We're, we're in the 93, 94%. And uh, after COVID, like for April, we were able to close at um, 89%. So it, we were only about four points short of what we typically collect. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great effort on everybody. What we did is in Mar- at the end of March, we contacted all of our residents and told them we would give them between a 10% and a 20% discount if they would pay their rent before the 5th of, uh, of April. And uh, there were those, that comes with two components, which is, you know, they, the emotional part of it that we are helping, helping them during this crisis that we understand their pain and that we're on the same boat that they are in. And um, the, the other part is we, we gave them a solution to try to minimize their expenses through this. So a lot of them jumped on onto this and effectively started paying us with uh, right away. Wow. And uh, now we're doing the same thing for, for May, but only at a 10% discount and people are already starting to pay. So um, another thing is we created a task force of like a team of 20 people. We ended up getting people from other departments, leasing, accounting, and everybody was, moved into a collections effort and we called every single tenant and, 2700 and, and just, to, just to stop you so proactively they it's not like they haven't paid yet but you went out of your way to initiate the contact even before they were deciding whether to pay you or not that is correct wow that is correct and, well the first call we what we did is put everybody in buckets yep so whether they were section eight they were uh, on social security income whether they were still employed or part-time employed or they were completely uh, laid off. So now we knew what condition they were in. So we did a pie chart on that. And, um, and then we gave them solutions based on their, on their, on the, on the type of bucket that they were in. Got it. And, and you're going to continue that. I mean, what's the plan now? Obviously nobody knows what the hell is going to happen with the COVID but um, do you plan to continue this for the duration or is this sort of short term? So 
what we're doing, like I said, is, is, a, is a meeting every day at five o'clock in which we meet the, enti- the entire team, just start shooting ideas and doing what we can do differently on each one. But um, we, we're just taking it one day at a time. Got it. Got so it. right now we, we have our, our May plan ready. We don't know what June's going to happen. We know that we have the stimulus checks for, for May because they in, in what we did is give them that 10% discount and no late fees if they're able to pay their rent with their stimulus check. Got it. So they would need to show us that they got their money from the stimulus check and we, they would get their, waste, their late fees waived and, um, and, that, and that discount. So that's the plan for May. Let's see what happens in June. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm uh, two questions related to that. Um, evictions. Obviously, State of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis he put a moratorium on evictions, uh, I think, through roughly May 15th, ballpark or so. Um, uh, that have any effect on you? Do you anticipate any effect uh, related to that or so far clear sailing? Yeah, uh, until the 17th. Yes. 17th, and, okay. 17th uh, the, of May. Right. 17th of May. Um, yes and no. Remember, th- that doesn't apply for for evictions that started before. Okay. Although. One thing is what they say in terms of, uh, of, of, of this moratorium, and then the other one is what the sheriff is doing. So it has affected us in not being able to evict tenants from before the, the pandemic. And um, now we are, our collections have been almost the same that we've had before. So I can't say that it's been a problem. We're just delaying those few evictions that we're going to have to collect um, in, in a few, I would think months now, yeah. but even just, even just today, I, I got notice from one of the tenants that we started eviction on that was willing to pay because she got her stimulus check. So great news for her, great news for the owner. It, it was a win-win. So. Got it. Got it. Got it. And, um, all right. So I, I get that now in terms of the property management, um, you, you, you mentioned that the, the dollar, and the strength of the dollar is, is, is leading to increased savings uh, for you and your back office back in Columbia because of the Forex, the foreign ex, uh, currency exchange. Any, anything else that's coming out indirectly that maybe you hadn't thought about or most people don't think about related to COVID and its impact uh, either directly or indirectly on um, you know, the, rental, the rental market or the multifamily market? Yes. So I don't mean to get political, but um, but we have uh, the Trump factor here, which is he's trying to be very positive about the, the outlook. And in my opinion, he's not being very realistic. So that's good and bad for the property owners if they make the right decisions on time. What I'm doing right now is I'm actually selling most of my portfolio while I still can, uh, or part of my portfolio but it, while I still can because first, there, there are still loans out there. What, what has happened right now is that banks are still lending, it's just that they're not lending as much loan to value as they used to. And they're requesting a few reserves that, uh, that they were not asking pre-COVID-19. So, but still, we can say that, you know, the good news is there are still loans. I don't know if that's gonna be the case six months from now. So if you're gonna be selling, you, your buyer is gonna need financing and they still can get it. The interest rates are very low right now. I, I put a property for sale less than two weeks ago. I, I have it under contract. It's two and a half million dollars. And, um, and the interest rate that the buyer got was three and a half percent. 
So it's it's a it's going to be a really good investment for for them if they're able to keep their rents this way, and maybe that's their their game plan. Now, for those that are on a on a different set of uh, of strate- strategies, like uh, just making a big buck on 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 investments quickly, then you're going to have to buy and sell or sell and buy in that order. Yep. And right now will be the moment because six months from now, the 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 market is going to it's going to take a hit, yeah. to say the least. Uh, a hit meaning it's going to drop. Valuations are going to fall. Prices. Yeah, correct. Okay, there, there's a lot there, so I want to I want to hit on a couple points. You mentioned that banks have changed the lending criteria. What kind of loan to value or what kind of deposit are they looking for now versus pre pre um, uh, COVID ballpark? So typically, yeah, typically it was seventy five percent loan to value. You could okay. find for a multifamily. Uh, a two two million dollar deal or a five million dollar deal, it, you would find that banks would lend you seventy five percent. Now they're lending anywhere between sixty five to seventy percent, but asking that you put up a reserve of an entire year of your payments. Wow! With them, so so you end up getting a loan only in about. Well, you you get the money back after after it's paid, but. But still, you know, the money they have, you have to cash out. Uh, you're only going to be, you know, with a loan to value of 60%. Got it. And, and, and that money you're putting up, what, it goes into a CD or something that the bank controls? <laughs> yeah, correct. It, it, sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't even have any return whatsoever. So it goes straight to a, a, a savings deposit, uh, it, like a, an escrow account, like your mortgage escrow that you have on your house. Yep. Same way. So it just it's deposited there until one year from now. Then you to get it back, you basically have to submit a request saying it's been a year. We've paid our mortgage. We want our money back, and then they wire your your funds back to you. And what a hustle! Wow. Um, okay, another question you mentioned. You you have a property under contract. You said I think you said two point five million dollars. Correct. Yeah. 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 How, how much did that work out a door? Just to give people an idea of um... this one. Yep. Sure, this one is $105,000 a door. So they're sitting there at home saying, shit, $105,000 a door. That's pretty good. Plus the fact you're putting cash in your pocket. So, you know, kudos to you again, tip of the cap. Thank you. So um, uh, was there anything else you wanted to add about that uh, in terms of uh, you're trying to position yourself now because you think the storm is coming uh, roughly six months from now? Um, are you looking to liquidate your entire portfolio, a percentage of it? Are you rebalancing it, recalibrating uh, it? What, what, what sort of the plan? Put up everything and see what sells and, and deal with the rest? Or what, what's the strategy? Um, I'll be putting up for sale about 70% of our portfolio. The other 30%, I, I won't just because I don't think it's the right moment. Okay. Even, uh, even for even giving this current circumstances, it's, it's just based on, on, on the current, like for instance, I started the, the, the one that I just bought in, in Texas, it's, it's a construction product. So it, I think that we're, we are going to build over there just because, uh, you know, even the lumber lost, it, it dropped 35% in cost and everything in construction has already um, dropped in cost. So what I'm seeing there is we're gonna be able to get a really amazing loan in terms of interest rate, at least the, the loan to value is going to be less, but the interest rate is going to be close to three, three and a half percent. And we're going to be able to build at a much lower cost than two months ago. And our rents, at least for now, are still the same. 
This is, and I'm talking about McAllen, Texas, which right. is a secondary market. So I think that we, what, what we did differently over there is the units that we're going to be building are going to be two bedrooms, two bathrooms, which are what we'd like to call recession proof. In other words, that, uh, if, if, if you're single, uh, waiter at a restaurant and you wanted your one bedroom and one bathroom apartment, now you have to hook up with another roommate and between the two of you can easily pay uh, a two bedroom, two bathroom. So, so that one, that's one of the reasons why I'm not going to be selling that, but the rest, as you said, what I can sell, I will sell. Yes. And I will keep the cash for, for investing in six months from now or a, month, a year from now. Now, I, I do want to add is that the, we are in this very interesting window. Remember, I, I, I keep saying six months, and the reason why I say that is because of the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac moratorium. So for those that know, this was uh, the moratorium started about a few weeks ago and it's going to be for six months. They haven't said anything after that. What that means is that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac backed loans will not have to pay their mortgage for, for these six months and those will be added to the, you know, to the end of your loan. But what happens in six months when people do have to start to pay? Well, well and, I was, and they, Daniel, I was doing some research uh, today, in fact, for, uh, uh, for a presentation I'm going to be giving. And, and apparently, if you go in uh, as a borrower, you can then uh, uh, apply for a, a six-month extension for a grand total of one year forbearance. Okay. There we go. So that, okay. So that extended six months more, but in any case, uh, uh, Peter, what, what all of this is doing is just delaying the inevitable. Think of it this way. If we lose the, the, any economy is very fragile. I know we are supposedly in a very, very strong economy, but still, you know, we we're, we only see two to 3% growth on our economy every year. If we have 10% of our businesses shut down, that is gonna it's gonna have a trickle down effect on the rest of the of the industries. And and when I say 10%, just grab you know between your concerts, restaurants, um, anything that has to do with public gatherings, it's it's their their amount of business is gonna drop so much that that it, that effect is gonna trickle down to the rest of the industries. To the point where we're going to be stuck in a recession again. Yeah, if we're already uh, not in one, a severe exactly, recession. exactly, exactly. Understood. So basically, you want you want to go into cash, so you're you have powder dry um, when and if the prices tumble to a, a a level that you're comfortable with. That is correct. Okay. Now I'm assuming too, you would probably be open if you do if you do sell these units. You'll probably be open to managing them uh, for a fee from uh, uh, the prospective uh, new owner. Absolutely, sure, and that happens oftentimes. I, I did that with the property I told you the the, the sixteen thousand dollar unit. Yep. Uh, I ended up managing that property for him. There you go. So, so you're you're double dipping. You're hitting it on both sides. Well done, my friend. Another tip of the hat. But man, I'm tipping my damn hat so much. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, okay. So, so so far the the the, the tenants are paying. You're taking steps to be prepared to take advantage of another opportunity, uh, which means basically falling prices, which will create an opportunity for you to sort of go in. Um, give, give us give us a crystal ball. 
what as you look at the economy, as you think about your 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 tenants paying you your rent, you think about what you want to invest in. Is, is there any indicator you're watching, whether it's the Dow Jones, it's gas prices, it's uh, you know unemployment? What 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 sort of drives your boat in terms of uh, economic indicators or or just anything? Like like well, for instance, one of the things I used to watch is I watched happy hours at restaurants and bars. Because when happy hours started to get tremendous, you knew the economy was in trouble because nobody was spending money and the leases were too high for the restaurateurs or the bar owners. So that's something <laughs> I used to like to use, but obviously we can't visit places anymore. So I'm wondering, do you have an equivalent uh, of that that you you monitor and maybe it's something that uh, you know the audience might be able to consider using as well? Sure. So I, I saw some data today that was strikingly scary. Uh, which was the Chamber of Commerce survey a number of businesses, and they came out with a with a number that said that 24% of the of the survey businesses only have enough cash to survive the next following two months, and out of those as well, only 11% would would be able to survive the next month. So that that is a, a big indicator but then i i go ahead and a, I, I like your your happy hour uh statistic cuz at the end you you uh, even though i study economics i i don't like to follow too much the macroeconomics cuz to make money you just need a one really good deal just one that, that's so, right so you don't need the whole economy to go to bust it's just you need just one single million dollar investment that turns into three that's it so what what I've been doing is talking to a lot of friends since we're doing all these Zoom meetings and learning from their companies. What is happening with them? What are they doing? Are they going to be laying off people? Why? Or are they selling even? Because I'm, I've, I'm, I've even considered buying other businesses too. So we uh, that's I, I try to keep the conversation open with anybody that sees a specific opportunity on, on a business that's, that's not going to fare well in the next six months and, and might want to be interested in selling. And maybe they, are, they have the real estate. So that, that is a, a good grab right there. Um, Interesting. So, so, mm-hmm. so, Daniel, I want to ask you, you went through the Great Recession. You guys were taking down properties. You were paying well, uh, uh, good, great prices, things like that. Any words of wisdom to somebody who may be uh, hasn't played in South Florida before. And I know you're all over the country, but let's just stick it to South Florida. Any words of wisdom for somebody sitting on the sidelines? They're thinking, you know what, as these prices go to hell in South Florida, I'd like to get in. Is there one one bit of advice you might be able to share with them uh, based on your sure. experience? Sure. I, I have a story that I don't know if you wanted me to share or not. But so listen, listen to other people and listen to the data. I I remember clearly sitting with Peter in front at a bar and talking about uh, supposedly this huge recession that was going to happen. Peter was telling me this back in, uh, I'd say 2007, right? And, uh, and, and, and you kept saying like, yes, t- properties are going to tank. But what was happening on my end is that everything I touched was turning into gold. So I didn't want to believe uh, you or the numbers or anybody that kept saying that they were going to hit a recession. Well, long and behold, Six months later or a year later, everything went down to hell. So, or to shit, really. To, so, and I, I wish I would have taken that advice that you gave me back then. So follow, follow, 
follow data, follow not just what your precedent says. Look at really what's happening in your block. A, a really cool statistic that I heard, that I heard out of um, NPR a few weeks ago is this reporter just went down one street, one single street, and asked every business owner what was their current condition. So, and, and just on that block, he got a, num a really good statistic of, of what of how bad things were. So you you that that's one way of uh, of finding out what's really happening. And with I, that information, I heard that story, Daniel. I heard that story, and the guy who was doing well was the one who was running the butcher shop. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. A guy was running a butcher shop, and business was blowing up for him. Really, really. To go to the grocery store. He had, uh, he had the meat delivered. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I heard that story, though. You're, you're right. You're right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I thought it was an interesting tidbit. Sure, sure, sure. No, other than that is know, know what you're doing. Because you, you've, even with, uh, with great opportunities out there, you need to know how to fish them out. Uh, what I did last time was buying notes, uh, did modifications for, with banks, uh, find out what I, like buying a note from a bank and then, and then selling it to the same borrower, and which is legal, by the way, just that you, you, the bank can't do it themselves, but there, it has to be a third party. And also buying foreclosures, going to auctions, there's going to be plenty of divorces. So follow the rate of divorces that you're going to, that you're going to see in your city. And that's going to tell you how bad things really are. And um, bankruptcy court, uh, get your relationships ready with attorneys and accountants. And, and they'll, they'll give you loads of information and leads as to what deals can be done. That's fantastic. That's good advice. It's been a pleasure having you uh, uh, on the podcast. You shared some very interesting information. People want to get a hold of you. How do they reach out? Um, again, with our, our main number is uh, 305-717-6084. And our webpage is uh, www.strategicproperties.com. You can reach me at my email, which is DJ, my initials, D, DJ at strategicproperties.com. That's Daniel Jaramillo from Strategic Properties located in the Edgewater neighborhood of greater downtown Miami. Basically, they're running 2,700 units, a thousand of which they own outright. And he's looking to do some business. So if you're looking for somebody to do your property management, if you're looking to buy some units, because he's obviously selling some stuff, re go ahead and reach out to Daniel. I can attest to the fact that he's a good guy. Uh, won't waste your time. Uh, and, and as he mentioned, he'll be nice and calm about everything. So thank you for listening to the Condo Vultures podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski and Daniel Haramil. We're going to take a break now. On the other side of the break, we're going to get into our roundtable. We're going to have a panel of journalists sitting around, kicking around story ideas and headlines that came out in the last week. And we're going to give you our perspective on the ground as to what's going on. So we'll hear you or we'll see you on the other side of the uh, commercial break. Thank you. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vulture Podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski. 
We're now entering the roundtable section of our podcast. It's a regular feature where we bring on former journalists to kick around some main headlines that went on in South Florida in the previous week. We're going to discuss them. We're going to sort of um, out the people who are right and out the people who are wrong and give you some context. And if you guys have any questions or if you agree, you disagree, you got any suggestions, I recommend you send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. We want to hear from you. We do have a segment that's focused strictly on comments, and they just keep rolling in. So, you know, we, we encourage you to send as many comments uh, as you like. So I have on the um, podcast with me, I have Oscar Busabai. He's a partner in a public relations marketing firm called Influence Communication and a former journalist. How's it going there, Oscar? It's great. Good to hear your voice. You're still kicking. No problems with the COVID? Not yet. Good, good. Hope you stay safe. And we also have a former white collar crime reporter, gentleman who also um, uh, did some stuff with the publicly traded companies down here in South Florida, and somebody who prides himself in being working in a boiler room in Long Island back in the day. <laughs> we have John Fackler, who has his own marketing and public relations firm. How's it going, John? Doing great, Peter. Glad to be back. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Hopefully, you don't doze off this time, like uh, episode five, where you, where you were napping or something. I don't know if you're watching Rachel Maddow's or what, but yeah, uh, you know, if, if you could stay focused this time, it, you know the audience would 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 appreciate it. I yep. will do my best. Yes. So, so how how's everybody doing? Let me set the premise or let me set the scene. Basically, the state of Florida, after four to five weeks of lockdown, has opened up most of the state. Uh, except for Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties, which everybody down here refers to as South Florida. So the rest of the state, you can go and do a variety of different things, but you can't basically do anything in South Florida. How are you guys enjoying that? Do you guys go out to the beach this weekend and uh, basically get warned by the police that there's too many people and get noticed noticed with a citation? Well, the beaches are not open yet. So the parks are on a limited basis. You can play basketball, but only up to three people and and they can just shoot it can't be a game got it there are certain parts of parks that are open and you can't stand still basically so you can roll by or walk by or run by but you can't sit so i haven't gone i haven't made an attempt to to go out to the parks yet because i mean i'm can walk around right around doesn't make a, a big difference right now but when it does open i'll be extremely happy that's for sure well, Miami Beach was open until they served 8,000 citations to all these chowderheads who decided not to um, do the social distancing. I don't know um, if it opened the same time as the parks, but there was a story today that there was 8,000 citations served, so they shut it down. Yeah, it's closed. Yep. So so if 8,000 citations were served, just imagine how many people were actually out there. Right. Yeah. It's tough, uh, man. It's tough because people are just so over being inside now compare it to china where people were in their apartments could not get out (laughs) could not get out the state would not allow them to get out and uh we we have it pretty easy but still people are are excited and eager to hit the street without masks which i see everywhere i i don't know what people are thinking but i wear my my mask into the bathroom into my own bathroom so um I don't know what people are thinking right now. If if you're out there, you got to be wearing a mask at the very least. So it's it's a it's a beautiful days in South Florida. I mean, anyone in the country would be ecstatic to be down here at this time. 
And uh, once things ease up a little bit, I'm sure there'll be a huge flow of people back. But uh, it's going to take time, and and the and the flights are going to be the biggest issue. But for now, they're experimenting with a little bit of opening up. We'll see what happens next. Nice, nice. And John, how's everything shaking for you? You're a little long in the tooth, so you're probably a little bit more concerned about the uh, COVID than anyone else. Everything well, good with you? Well, yeah, but I have a very interesting uh, phenomenon that's uh, occurring with the uh, COVID. Um, you know, they're, they're saying that they're saying that there's a lot of uh, because there's no people in the streets. There's a lot of animals sort of getting out and walking around in places they shouldn't be. And I had the pleasure yesterday of uh, being jumped by two peacocks who happened <laughs> to jump off the roof of my house and. Um, dive by them off the I don't know what they were doing or where they came from because we don't have you know I'm in the little Havana neighborhood and they don't usually have uh, peacocks here they're usually down in the grove so I think they're starting to come up from the grove and you know uh, you're starting to see animals of all kinds now walking the streets so I thought that was interesting interesting and when you saw the peacocks what was your first reaction did you think I'm gonna hunt it down did you think I want to take a picture (laughs) what what went through your mind well, I was quite nervous because I'm nervous about chickens. Chickens make me nervous. So these are like big birds, you know, big chickens. <laughs> They're like big, beautiful chickens. Yes, very colorful chickens. So let's get into the roundtable. We have three different uh, headlines that occurred within the last week. Uh, we already arranged how we're going to discuss them. And I'll be going first. I have a story about the U.S. housing prices in general. John's then going to follow suit with some big fat cat who's deciding that he doesn't want to be in real estate. And then finally, we're going to end with Oscar, who's got a um, has got a, a story by one of the local developers down here, somebody closely aligned to Donald Trump, and what his outlook is on the um, U.S. housing market, especially as it pertains to South Florida. So I'll start off. I have a piece that came out on uh, CNBC. piece was just published uh, this week, and the piece is basically the headline, Coronavirus Will Shrink U.S. Home Prices by 2 to 3% nationally, says Zillow, who is the most rah-rah organization out there, putting out, to some would say, highly inflated valuations on housing. A lot of people tend to rely on it because it's quick, it's easy. You type in a name or an address, and all of a sudden you get that property. What say you guys? Are we looking at a 3% uh, drop in housing prices nationwide because of the COVID, or is that a little bit uh, too rosy? What, what, what do you think, gentlemen? I think that's way too rosy. I mean, there was pressure yeah. downward before coronavirus, so it's going to it's going to intensify because there are barriers now for people to be able to close on transactions even to see properties. So it's it's going to make it's going to definitely slow things down, which means the pressure is going to continue to build to depress prices. And following suit on that, Oscar, um, so a couple of weeks ago, we did a podcast where um, uh, the lender, Grant Stern, was talking about how jumbo mortgages, which are basically mortgages uh, right. north of, I think, 515, yeah. uh, weren't available for would-be buyers. And then last week, Wells Fargo announced, they're the first, to announce that they were pulling back on any new applications for um, home equity lines. Yeah, and, and we all know that the other banks follow suit. Yeah. So you, you, you seem to think that the uh, uh, clampdown on financing is probably going to lead to more than a 3% drop in valuations of housing uh, going forward. Well, the, the opposite side of that is that interest rates right now are, are basically zero. So there is a great opportunity for people to buy properties right now. So maybe that'll offset some of the 
some of the downward pricing. I mean, that's what the Fed is trying to do is trying to juice the market by having these very low interest rates. So maybe that'll offset it. But normally in a situation like this, it would continue to apply pressure. So we'll see. I mean, may, it, maybe the Fed's strategy will work and there'll be movement. But in this market, before coronavirus, the pressure was enormous and people were dropping their prices or had to drop their prices unless they were deep pocketed. In fact, we did uh, a review, an overview of a story. I think it was from Real Deal about this lady Sunshine who had to, who lost two million dollars on the sale of her luxury condos recently. That, that that's right, Oscar. Just just for background, uh, Louise Sunshine. She was somebody who used to advise Donald Trump on a lot of his condo deals up in New York City as well as others in New York City. Came down here, bought a condo, outfitted it, went over the top, over improved it. Lo and behold, when she looked to dump or sell, took her forever to get out. And when she did get out, it was nowhere near what she was asking. So that that's what you're referring to. I think it was a, a probably about three episodes ago yeah. or so when we discussed that. Yeah. So that that tells you where the market is right now. That uh, there's a lot of uh, people out there, particularly in the luxury market, with a lot of inventory and that market is saturated and uh, the rest of the market is going to have uh, a ripple effect and it's going to continue to see a decline in pricing. I mean, that's just maybe it's our real- reality because we overbuilt. Maybe that's our situation. Maybe that's not what's going on across the country. But it was in New York. New York had the same dynamic going on. Yeah. So. It's hard to I, I mean, I cannot imagine it's just three percent. That seems ridiculous. But what, what what seems more realistic, Oscar? Like if we did this podcast a year from now, what we, what number would not surprise you uh, based on uh, home price uh, de- depreciation or decrease a year from now? I, I wouldn't want to project forward because I would like always to see... willing to take a stand. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see the history over the last three years and see where pricing has been. I know pricing has gone down but actually that's not true pricing has been up and down but specifically in after 9-11 and after the 2008 financial crash i'd like to see what the downward pressure was on pricing then and compare it to now if we can do that and i i promise you i will look those numbers up and come back next week with those numbers to give you a realistic projection of what the decrease should be now, assuming John is still with us and hasn't dozed off, yes, John, what percentage would, would, would you think would be acceptable or uh, unexpected or expected, I should say, uh, a year from now in terms of South Florida housing? Well, I, I would say 3% is obviously wishful thinking, um, more like 30%. Um, I, I actually don't think that's unrealistic, to be honest with you. Uh, a year from now, with everything combined, if, we, if this COVID uh, you know, blows out for another year, and we don't really get our uh, footing, so to speak, on the mar- in the market. Um, uh, conceivably, 30% might be realistic. The beauty of this is, did you ever watch the game, The Price is Right? Oscar's yes. claiming three. John is claiming 30. <laughs> I say four and anything in between four and 29. There I you go. Win. Now, <laughs> you're playing it correct, actually. Yes, you're playing it correctly. That's the smartest thing to do. Or now, you go 31%. Yeah, over on the... You can do that. Yeah. Yep. 
So in, in terms of me, I would anticipate at least 20%. I think 20% is probably a minimum. I think the 30% is definitely doable. I think for someone uh, who I'm working with in order for them to pull the trigger, it has to be a minimum of 30% yeah. simply because prices were too inflated. Right. And we, you know, there, there needs to be a reality check. You take 30% off of pricing where it is today. I used to start to get a little bit more into a warm zone, especially given the fact that we don't know how long this uh, damn thing is going to last. President Trump announced today that he thought or yesterday, recently, let's put it, that he thought a vaccine would be coming out by the end of the year. I don't know. That sounds a little bit far fetched for me uh, to me. So without a vaccine, there's basically no backstop and prices can just keep falling and falling and falling. Right. Yep. Now. That's probably a good segue. Yeah. Um, uh, we start with a th- two to three percent drop. Now let's go into what John has. John, you have a story about some fat cat who basically is liquidating real estate and uh, thinks he wants to be yeah. in cash. Much Absolutely. Um, very related to uh, your story. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, CEO of Tesla, is um, apparently selling his two Los Angeles mansions. Uh, they appear to be sale just days after he pledged to own no house. Apparently, um, Musk has gone the way of uh, living off the grid, or at least he wants to live off the grid. He doesn't want any possessions of any kind, as well as any homes. Now, two days later, his properties appear to be listed on uh, the website Zillow. The, the, his Bel Air properties have a combined value of $39.5 million. Um, Wow. Yeah, it's wow. interesting. Um He's had some issues, obviously, recently where his stock has take, taken a hit, which happened just previously to this uh, news uh, story. And also last week, he was um, out in the news as well, talking about how people on lockdown were fascist. So he was throwing around the fascist moniker <laughs> uh, before all this happened. Actually, he was probably more worried about himself. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> he's... <laughs> You know, he had tweeted that um, he's got a lot of um, followers um, and they he's I think 33 or 34 million. They um, that his Tesla stock was too high, uh, leading to about 14 billion being wiped off the company's market cap, which is what I thought was quite interesting. Wow. Really unclear why he did that. So um, it looks like our yeah friend is having a bit of a financial meltdown here. Well, I, I wonder, John, does it say uh, uh, what he would make if he sold at asking prices combined versus what he actually paid? Uh, Is there any indication in the story? Yeah, I think they, he, uh, in fact, um, well, one of the, uh, one of the, one is a ranch, 9.5 million is what it's worth, uh, which was actually a former, okay. form, former home of uh, Gene Wilder, who was a, a comedian way back in the day. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he said that on Friday that whoever buys the home should keep it how it is. Not sure what he means by that. Um, but it really. So he paid 9.5 or he's listing yeah, 9. it for 9.5 for the one home. Um, is what he's listing yeah. it for? That's what he wants or is that what he paid? Well, he, there's, there's another uh, property as well, $30 million. That's what he's listing it for. It doesn't say what he paid. Didn't really. Okay, so doesn't he, say anywhere in the article about what he paid. I think Bloomberg also picked up this story, but I, I didn't see that in Bloomberg's story either. So, tis tis tis. If I was the editor of that reporter, I would have sent him back to do some <laughs> research. How are you going to write about what they're asking and not actually have the numbers that he originally paid? There you go. Exactly. exactly yeah. Wow. But uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah, another you know, another example. 
I was going to say, that's another example of the of, uh, some of the journalists out there just letting us down. Yeah. Give us the facts, let us decide, it w- guess, would be my point on that. But I guess the $50,000 question is um, something that might happen here in uh, lovely South Florida uh, with you know wealthy individual, individuals owning um, expensive real estate and uh, whether it's condos or, or homes. Is this something you could see happening here? Oh, my God. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. OK, well, uh, next time you see one of these peacocks, if you want to take a picture or, right. um, you know, we, we, we'd love to share it on our podcast. I'm sure the audience would love to see it. I will indeed. Oscar, you want to go first or you want me to take a swing? Well, why don't you go first? OK, so ge- generally speaking, the smart money knows when the market starts going sideways. You just cut bait. You want to get in the cash as quickly and as soon as you can. Right. Best example was uh, during this run-up, which began in 11, there was a tower over Miami Beach called the Faina House. Oh, yeah. Faina House was primarily sold to uh, executives at Goldman Sachs, Citadel, Apollo, all the biggest hedge funds and investment banks in the world. Uh, once the units were delivered, many of these executives who bought thinking they were going to be able to uh, retrade out of their position relatively quickly, they came to realize that basically uh, they got hoodwinked. And they started cutting bait uh, and losing money, even though the market was still propped up and going strong at the time. So I would just encourage you when the smart money starts to take a position and move, uh, there's no way you're going to battle against them. Just get on the train and follow them out. Otherwise, you're going to get devoured. Uh, So I would suggest if guys like must start cutting bait, if we get some big dogs in South Florida doing it, you know, uh, uh, man the lifeboats because uh, it's getting ready to go to hell. So that that would be my take on it. So this is my question, Peter. If someone like Tesla, who doesn't, you know, I'm I'm uh, sitting here in Miami saying that he doesn't need the money. You know, he has deep pockets. He could sit on these properties yep. for 10 years if necessary to get the numbers back up to where they are. And I can't imagine it would take 10 years. I think it would take maybe three to five years. What? Why would he dump those properties? Why would he need to dump? Um, the question's for me? Yeah. Oh, that's simple. The, the reason you dump them is if no bank is putting money on the street, you dump it, you get a price that you want, which wouldn't necessarily appraise out, wouldn't be market value. And what you do is you hold a loan, charge an exorbitant interest rate, hold a, the loan, have the buyer put down some cash. They're obviously not going to default, right. but lo and behold, you're, you're increasing your ultimate out-the-door um, uh, 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 price. Uh, 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 yeah, out-the-door price. Because you, you might have to reduce the sale price, but if you're holding holding a note against it for a short term, you know, and it's backed by the real estate, if the buyer goes bad, boom, you end up with the property. And if the buyer doesn't go bad, you're getting a nice interest rate, you know, I'd say much higher than what the what a mortgage would currently cost on the street, which is now in the ballpark of 2 3 to 4%. So maybe you charge 10%, 12%. That might be a reason uh, to sort of put it on the market. Plus, um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, human nature is such where, Nobody wants to be the last rat on the sinking ship, right. so they all look to bail. So he's probably getting out early rather than sticking around and thinking that it's all going to turn around because the economy never turns around quickly, despite what uh, is being said out there, from my perspective. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, that house that I wanted, which was $20 million, is going to be fifteen in, in two months. Or, yeah. you know, I can get uh, – maybe he's, he wants to get into um, commercial portfolio. I mean, I don't know if he's limited to houses. Maybe it's he's got more diverse inventory than that. But mm-hmm. um, if this might be a longer play. It may be that he's building a Tesla van and he's going to join the van life. 
And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wants to launch the brand with the Tesla van. So who knows? But uh, it, it strikes me as odd that he would dump his real estate. I, it, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But if it's the scenario you're suggesting, Peter, I think that makes sense. To me, that makes sense because then you end up with the property again. So, um, and, and remember what you said, Oscar, you brought up Louis Sunshine. Yeah. This person who did a lot of condo sales up in New York City right. uh, with Donald Trump as well as other large developers. For her to take a haircut yeah. and get out, a significant haircut just to get out ahead of the curve, mm-hmm. you know, three's a trend. So we're waiting for one other person right. to start cutting bait. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. It's possible. And keep in mind. I, I remember. It's... I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. No, I'm keeping in mind. No, no, no. Go ahead. Keep in mind uh, Musk's eccentricity. I mean, he let's be, let's not forget he tweeted that he he intended to sell almost all of his physical possessions and that he will own no house as well. Uh, maybe it's part of a bigger play where he wants to go off grid. Something I thought about, you know, just getting rid of all my possessions. And uh, Oscar, what, what 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 do you think? Is he is he an anomaly, or do you think he's a canary in a coal mine? Elon Musk wow. cutting bait and um, look looking to dump and get out. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that he's looking for for other opportunities that he wants to get liquid so that he can invest in other real estate. Maybe he says to himself, "Well, of course, right. I don't really have many to go in." But you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. He's claiming that anybody from the IRS who might be listening, he's claiming that because he does not want to be audited. There is. you go. <laughs> That's right. And, and all those trips he makes to the Caymans, uh, you know, that's purely for the beach. That's it. <laughs> That's obviously just a joke. It's I'm being sarcastic. Yes, Nobody take that serious. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Oscar, Oscar, you, you got you got a story that's a little bit closer to home. Right. Um, uh, what, 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 why don't you give us the talking points in the headline? So South Florida Business Journal, which is where I used to work. And actually, all of us work. Correct. Correct. Peter, yes. Yeah. Uh, had a story. Brian Bendel's the best real estate reporter in town. He says that uh, he did three questions with Gil Dezer who is, you know, a, a large play, a real estate player in this market. He owns hotels. He has condominiums, retail, and a car. And, and Oscar, if I could just stop you. Um, yeah. uh, Gil, Gil made his name back in the early 2000s when he and his father came down here, started buying up a bunch of uh, smaller units uh, in what were effectively uh, condo hotels or, or condo motels, if you will, little shitholes. He was buying them relatively cheap. They accumulated quite a bit. Lo and behold, the, the uh, uh, unincorporated part of the of the county became the city of Sunny Isles Beach. All of a sudden, zoning permitted high-rise towers where before they were more in a mid-rise range. So Gills really cashed in, built a lot of towers, a lot of condos, all on the high end. Most of them faced the ocean, but he really sort of uh, put his name uh, on the on the in the headlines down here because he brought in Donald Trump at the time, who was a real estate developer with the whole licensing agreement and possibly even equity where uh, uh, things were called Trump Tower. So Gil's been involved with building six towers that donned the, uh, Donald Trump's name in Sunny Isles Beach. So, sorry, Oscar, no, didn't no. mean to interrupt. That's fine. That's great context. And um, Brian Bendell was asking Gil about the condo market and also the impact of COVID-19. So what he was saying was that they just finished Armani Casa Tower before COVID really took its toll. And where's Armani Casa located? Is that the one downtown? Uh, no, Armani Casa is going to be a tower directly on the ocean. Put it up on some little shit shithole two story uh, condo motel. 
And basically, it's a condo. They enter into a licensing agreement with the Armani Casa, which is the home furnishing um, section of the Armani umbrella, um, basically to call it the Armani Casa uh, uh, condominium. But, it, but it's a condominium that has a licensing agreement with Armani Casa. But, but it, it would be roughly, I don't know, call it 200 and eh, it's probably in the, you know, the high 190s, low 200s uh, address wise up in Sunny Isles Beach on A1A or Collins Avenue. Right. So he built it where there used to be a condo hotel. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, it was a little two story schlocky uh, type of place. Yeah. Right. They, he owned right. the dirt and basically uh, uh, did a condo termination. And put up Armani Casa with uh, George Perez on that site. Yeah, and the Deserts also did Porsche Towers. And correct, there's not not related to them, but Fendi Tower. So there was a trend in large brands putting their names on condominiums for a little while, and this is one of those towers. So he says that uh, the building is eighty two eighty two percent closed for sale wow. contracts, and they paid off the loan. So, well done. Yeah, I mean that's way ahead. If if uh, everything worked out that that cleanly, uh, he said only a few people needed more time to close, and now they're looking for more buyers. But there's a detail in here that's very interesting. It, it explains that they were in the sales unit, and that everyone had to stand six feet apart and wear masks, and that it's it's tough to sell aggressively, but you should make it known you are available if people want to buy. That's the quote, and then also. Uh, he talked here, Brian asked him about the hotels and they had to lay people off there. And then they have this entertainment center, which they call Desertland, which is uh, a car museum and uh, a bunch of odds and ends. But also it's got a very high end virtual reality environment and um, they charge you a lot of money. for that. I, can say. I, I took my kids there one time and, and uh, it broke the bank, basically. But uh, Wow. Uh, he says that they were building the business at, at first. It was slow. And then it, it, it started to gain its legs. And then this happened. So uh, he's still very positive. He says, you know, he expects things to come back because tourism is never going to stop. Right. So that's yeah. another quote from him. And then lastly, he was talking about Intercoastal Mall. And apparently they, they own that mall with no debt. And uh, Brian asked him, so what happens if, if your tenants don't pay rent? If I could stop yeah, you yeah, right there, ahead. Oscar. Go ahead. So, so the, inter- the Intercoastal Mall is on, is on the mainland. Sunny Isles Beach is on the barrier island. There's a little causeway that separates the two off of 163rd Street. So anybody who knows down here knows 163rd Street. So once you go over the bridge from the, from the barrier island where the sand is, over the Intercoastal Waterway to the mainland, immediately once you get over on the north side of the street or the right side as you're going west there's gonna be a large massive mall that's antiquated gill bought that uh during this uh current cycle he bought it with the idea of of knocking down some of the one-story restaurants that are on the water and building a bunch of condos and repositioning the mall so when when oscar talks about the intercoastal mall that's what he's talking about a site that's officially i think north miami beach or north miami uh it doesn't matter neither of them have a beach uh, but basically, when you leave the barrier island, you come to the mainland, there's a mall right there, uh, a strip mall. And, and that's what Oscar is talking about. Sorry, Oscar. No, no, don't worry. So that, so it's an older mall, as, as you're pointing out. It's got a movie theater. It's got a supermarket. And I think there's a, there's a um, it's either a Gap or the other brand that Gap has. I forget. 
And uh, so it's got some modern brands in there. Yeah, but it's it's got issues. It's it's it sounds like there's an opportunity there for him. And uh, Brian was asking him, so what if your tenants don't pay rent? And he says, we're going to work something out, especially in a bad market. The cost to acquire a new tenant is more than the rent. You would have to be a fool to push out a tenant and sit there with space empty right now. So it sounds like they're trying to adapt to the market in the best way possible. We'll see if that's the case over time, if people start either closing down or getting pushed out. If he's going to redevelop, then it seems to me that this is a great opportunity for him in his mind. I'm not saying it's a great opportunity. I'm saying in his mind, I would think that this may be a way to upend some of those leases for tenants that are in there. However, it's uh, Old Navy that's in there, Old Navy. So um, there are some brand name tenants in there with, uh, you know, large profiles. So I don't know how flexible the leases are going to be, but there are definitely some smaller players, some mom and pops in there. And, you know, that's what real estate and property owners do in, in down markets. They, they look to upend leases and then redevelop properties. So that, that may be what happens here. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I will tell you, Gil can be a real pain in the ass. Yeah. But uh, he's likable. I'm kind of like him. I would I would say uh-huh. if if I say my 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 own uh, if I could be humble enough. Um, obviously, I don't have the success of Gil, but but basically his take on things. The fact that he wants to work with tenants, you know, I can see him like you're talking about Oscar. Yeah. Uh, uh, making it work with the tenants, but also putting in some sort of escape clause. So next go around, he's got the ability to boot their ass out if necessary. If he wants to build his condos, right, or whatever whatever the case may be. Um, uh, in terms of the retail space. You know, listen, his, 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 uh, the retail clients that are there and I'm, I don't do retail, but I wouldn't say they're rock star clients. And when you have this whole, all the speculation, uh, following J crew filing for right. bankruptcy, that some of these large retailers, whether it's Neiman Marcus or anyone else that's been reported, you know, the possibility of them disappearing, you know, that that's gotta be a little bit frightening sure. because the mall is so massive. And it's so underutilized. Right. Um, you know, you're talking about big boxes, not new big boxes, but the big boxes before big boxes came around with Circuit City and Best Buy. Right. So, you know, this is really one of those massive malls with massive amounts of parking and everything is sort of set back. So I, I, I can see why he's, you know, he's probably scratching his head trying to figure out what the hell's going to go on. Yeah. And in terms of tourism coming back, listen. I like to travel probably more than most people. And I'm not honestly thinking that I can actually use my passport again for at least a year or so. Wow. And if you were, if you own hotels and things like that, and yeah. trust me, I have no problem going into, um, you know, let's say it's a, a suspect places. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very hard to think about, okay, if I go abroad, where am I going to go? Or if I travel down to Florida, uh, you know, what am I going to run into? We have people from all over the world down here. So I, you know, any kind of, you know, any kind of idea that the tourism is going to bounce back relatively quickly, I think it's probably more optimistic and, and glasses half full uh, than than anything else. I, I would bet against it. I would take the other side of that trade personally. Well, he's saying it's going to come back, which is not a hard statement to make. We, yep. we all know tourism is going to come back. The question is, at what rate? Right. And what does it look like? And, and what, what, what like? are people willing to spend? Right. I mean, we could we could see. You know, I was thinking about uh, commercial spaces. I don't know if we've talked about this already in the past, but maybe uh, big offices for Fortune 500 companies shrink 
because people now are accustomed to working from home and that great fear that companies had of having their employees working from home and getting distracted and, and not being efficient, maybe they'll find that, that it actually works. So to reduce overhead, they reduce the size of their offices. So potentially true. If something like that were to happen, that could cripple the commercial market, you know, in our, yeah, we're, 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 we're in, we're in a brand new territory that I don't think anybody has any clue what could possibly happen. John, um, what, 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 what's your take on, uh, on Gil and, and his outlook for, uh, uh, well, I'm actually in, in short term future. Is this mall, the Sunny Isles Mall, with the movie theater, the same one that you commandeered back in the day? Uh, uh, for most, <laughs> you're giving okay, up trade secrets to, here. Yes, it is. Who don't remember, but Peter was um, featured in the um, uh, Michael Moore movie uh, "Capitalism: right. A Love Story." Uh, I believe I have something to do with the logistics of this, right. where we actually commandeered the movie theater, invited hundreds of people, and. That's right. I went to that. I went to that. I don't know if commandeered is the right word. That might be a little oh, generous. My goodness gracious. People didn't know what was going on. Because I remember paying. Hello. I remember paying. I'm sorry. So there was no yeah. commandeering involved. Yeah, but I think I negotiated a deal where you could get a soda and a popcorn at a reduced price instead of twelve dollars. No, people are happy. Like they, love they, they love that the hot dogs the... and the cokes, free hot dogs and cokes, and um, it's a great networking opportunity. Yeah. With uh, we've had dinner there at that same wall, some restaurant there as well. You know, fun, funny story. If anybody, you know, you guys got nothing to watch out there because right. uh, the stay-at-home uh, land. But if you're looking for uh, a laugh, you want to get a sense of what went on last time. Go look up that Michael Moore documentary called Capitalism, a, a, a Love Story, yeah. and you'll see a lot of similarities uh, today versus what was going on back then. Right. Back then, obviously, was the housing crisis and, and all of the uh, mortgage issues, where now it's obviously a, a health type of thing. But both markets were oversupplied. Yeah. That's the common denominator. But but it's definitely a good uh, good use of two hours. You might not agree with Michael Moore and his and that politics, might be a good but you'll segue into a plug yeah. I'd like to give Peter here up. Uh, I'm not sure if. Oh yeah. Oh, John I'm is blowing smoke up my ass. <laughs> Keep it coming. He wants I'll let tickets you know to the, the ring the next movie. time I see you. Yeah, he wants free tickets to the next movie. That's what it but, is. But uh, Peter, uh, exactly. Had a, a very, very good uh, video. I guess you would call it a video interview slash podcast with Stuart Elliott, who's the editor in chief of uh, the Real Deal magazine here in Miami. Um, and it was really. As well oh, as no, New York. I'm sorry. He's, he oversees New York, exactly. uh, what's New York, sort of Chicago, national, L.A., everything. Uh, we gave a national perspective from down here. But Peter was really uh, on on point with this one. And if you think there's salty language in this podcast, where do you tune into that one? Oh, boy. Um, but it was it was a yeah. really insightful. Uh, I believe the uh, podcast is archived on the Real Deal site, or you can find it on um, YouTube. And I'm sure just doing a quick Google search of Wakanda Vultures, you'll be able to pull it up. But I would... I would highly recommend it to uh, listeners uh, for your enjoyment. Great point, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, there's some good stuff. Some of the stuff that we talk about in the marketplaces, obviously, it was asked, and there was a Q&A because it was, it was using Zoom technology. So I was able to ask real uh, answer real-time some of the questions and criticisms that were being thrown out there at me. Yeah. And Stuart was trying to maintain a stiff upper lip while, <laughs> you know, you know, he had some torpedoes coming in. Yeah, that's great. So um, we're, 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 wh- why don't we wrap down the this segment, the roundtable segment of the podcast, We'll take a little break, and then on the other side, we'll pick up with uh, the comments. But, uh, again, if you have any questions, you have any comments, you have any suggestions, please feel free to send an email to inquiry 
at condovultures.com, inquiry at condovultures.com. So you're listening to the Condo Vultures podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski, Oscar Musabai, as well as John Fackler, both regular contributors. We're going to take a little break here now. On the other side, we'll pick it up, and we're going to uh, kick around some of the comments that we received uh, 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 recently. So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Oscar Musabai from Influence Communications. In this age of coronavirus, nothing is more important than keeping your current customers and attracting new ones. And at Influence Communications, we are expert at reaching out to the media and letting them know that your business is open and the services that you provide. And our expertise is in adaptation, helping businesses change their messaging on a regular basis to make sure that they are keeping up with what is happening and what the market is demanding. And we also specialize in reaching out to Spanish language media to get your story out. So please call me, Oscar Musabai, 786-348-9257. That's 786-348-9257. 786-348-9257. Thank you. Welcome back to the Condo Vulture Podcast. We're your host, Peter Zalewski. We are now in the comments section. I have carried over. We have uh, Oscar Musabai, who is a partner in the public relations and marketing firm called Influence Communication, also a former journalist. And we also have John Fackler, who does, has, does public relations and marketing, and he's also a former journalist as well. Gentlemen, how many comments and what are okay, the comments? Okay, um, I just wanted to let you know that we've been getting a great response here from the comments. Um, we are starting to hear from regular uh, listeners actually who are seem to be uh, they seem to be blowing smoke up Oscar I'm not sure where the popularity is coming from but uh, it's uh, there's no popularity it, it's it's out it's, <laughs> you can just spell my name it's, it's easy actually to spell. That's palpable, it uh, but um, my congratulations to lawyer so one of our regular uh, listeners and this uh, comes in from no. one of our regular listeners Ilya and Ilya uh, was complimenting uh, your last podcast, um, basically saying the lawyer was excellent. Um, happy guy. Oh, he's referring to he's ben referring Alvarez. to Ben Alvarez, who's in a litigator, uh, and he sues insurance companies who don't want to pay um, claims such as business interruption insurance. Yep. And anybody who has their own business, I'd encourage you to yes. check out that podcast. Yep. Exactly. Podcast number five. Uh, yep. And he said uh, on that note, interesting topic too. I guess you can insure anything. Just make sure you have a lawyer to collect. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. So he says. Well um, said, Ilya. The comment. Next comment is Oscar has birds. Still... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do have birds, but the birds you're hearing are actually yeah, because it was either super, Peter or super nice background chirping. They... Uh, should be in every podcast. <laughs> I agree. I love the birds. I gotta say, you guys got to get more For... birds. For the record, they are rainbow lorikeets. They wow. they they fly around. They're very active later on in the day. Look at that. We tend to do we tend to do these comment <laughs> sections later in the day because John tends to sleep in. Um, yes. So, yeah, the rainbow lorikeets and they're they're taking advantage of a beautiful subtropical uh, climate and all the green right now. Well, I think we're the bird spring. topic That's is it. interesting today between this and the uh, peacocks. Um, yeah. So uh, Ilya goes on That's to uh, say that. Um, uh, thank you for the title, Lean Search Information. Uh, up to my ears with searches. Each county has different software, and it is all uh, shite. I guess that's a, he's meaning to say. 
Shite is a European European term, especially <laughs> British and, and Irish for shit. But yeah. uh, he goes on to really bring up a good point. Uh, really, he wants to know next topics. Uh, you know, are there any local opportunities? Uh, land he heard. You know, what else uh, would be down the pike? Any commercial stuff that we might be going into as far as topics? Um, I, I I was asked that question when I did the yes. Real Deal uh, webinar with Stuart Elliott, and basically what I was saying is that m- most groups are taking we're taking off April. They're going to start to get serious probably now in May, but because South Florida is still on lockdown, you can't really do anything yet. Um, Ilya and any listener out there, what I would tell you is now's the time to start doing the research, start looking into it. Chances are you're going to start to th- see things open up once the stay-at-home orders are are lifted. Mm-hmm. Chances are initially the prices will be a little bit too high. If you want to lowball and browbeat some of these would-be sellers, it's probably a good time to start. In terms of pulling the trigger, I can see you pulling the trigger sometime around August, September, especially as the hurricane season's ramping up and uh, we don't have any tourists here and who the hell knows what's going on with uh, with COVID. But yeah, there's going to be deals are across the board. Probably the only area, and Oscar raised this uh, one of the first few podcasts, yeah. probably the, the only area where you don't really have a play, probably be on the warehouse side, simply because warehouses are in such high demand now, given the uh, acceptance of, uh, you know, the Amazon phenomenon in terms of ordering online and having your stuff. Yeah, delivered. Another, right. another interesting uh, thing that he brings up, Ilya, here was something that uh, Stuart touched on in your podcast was the dirt. Uh, land, is that an opportunity going forward? I, Oscar, you want to address that or? I mean, I, I see I still see the same number of um, emails with uh, proposals for the sale of land as I used to. And my expectation is that going to that that is going to continue. In fact, I was in North Miami Beach yesterday, last night, driving by uh, the property where the Bennigans used to be. Bennigans was a restaurant chain that closed like 10 years ago, maybe even 15. And yep. um, that's going to be up the way towards uh, Aventura, north of 163rd. Exactly. In that area and the main strip, 163rd, that turns into 167. And you remember yep. the Bennigans, and there was a Kmart back there, and there was, I think, some other stuff back there. Right by the Popeye's Chicken. Yes. And they knocked down everything except for the Publix. So something is happening there. And I'm, I, I mean, normally I would say, well, more retail, something that's more dense and better organized because they have a lot of parking space. But ha- have those plans stalled? That would be an interesting thing to, to look into. But in terms of commercial specifically industrial is the place to be right now yeah i would agree um you know also too for uh, again another viewer tip or another tip for something to watch uh, while you're stuck at home i saw on netflix recently there was a documentary called project odessa yes had to do with some ukrainians who moved in yes, yes. uh in the 90s and basically they were trying to sell submarines to the colombians right so they could smuggle cocaine in mass volumes yes. into south florida yeah. but basically the one of the guys who got taken down he owned a restaurant right there at 163rd and biscayne yeah. which is right around that same area we we were kind of talking about so project odessa on netflix yep. I suggest you guys do uh, check that out. Very interesting. John, yeah. John, you got any you got any points about um, uh, uh, about uh, well, land I, or anything like that? Anything I, you want I, to chime I was in? curious you... too because I mean, among several of uh, Ilya's questions here, I think this again was brought up in the uh, podcast with you and Stuart was um, the fact of what you thought was the, the move towards industrial, which could look strong because of the amortization of warehousing um, in you know, the um, Wynwood area, uh, which may look like it might take off as opposed to office V uh, and commercial. 
uh, if you could maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I made some headlines with that uh, <laughs> webinar uh, with The Real Deal. And again, you, you can look it up on um, uh, The Real Deal website. What, 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 what you'll find is um, effectively, I think WinWid was super overvalued. If there's an area looking to come down dramatically, I would say that's probably the area to go simply because it wasn't a desirable property or a place to be before the run up. And now that now that we basically hit the top and we're starting to come back down, it's going to have even less appeal to many. So when you um, say appeal, you're referring to price, not uh, I'm I'm referring to price. And more importantly, from an investor perspective, does an investor have an ability to be able to, um, you know, effectively make some cash? Can they buy it? Can they rent it out? Can they do some stuff with it? And I don't see that happening in Winwood whatsoever, especially since so much is and people. Maybe normally I would say yes, that's true. And uh, I had a client that has an office there and is an attorney who did a lot of the work in Winwood, and they are filling in a lot of the stuff that you would normally expect to have in a prime neighborhood like Winwood. So office space there's a big office building that's still under construction there's a lot of new residential that has been completed and also in process and yes i agree like with everything else we're talking about there may be pressure downward on some of that because it was high extremely high but in terms of demand i think there would be a shift in demand if if the people living there move out. And I don't know whether that's going to happen or not, because there are so many restaurants there and there's such a vibe that I don't know that there is that kind of push. Now there is this whole issue in that area about noise that people who live there are complaining about noise from concerts and different events that are being held nearby. Even uh, activity downtown supposedly is making its way in terms of sound to Wynwood and, and some of the residents are concerned about that. So there are definitely growing pains in Wynwood, but it seems to me like they were on a, an incredible uh, momentum before this. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt because that's what Wynwood is about. It's about adaptability. So the question is, was that a slogan or is that for real? We're going to see it in action. We're going to actually see a brand new neighborhood that used to be an industrial district that used to be all warehouses and now has residences, has retail, has restaurants, has, uh, you know, culture nightlife is part of our basil, all that stuff. We're going to see if that little neighborhood can adapt and find a way to make through, make the, make it to the other side and come out better. Right. Because, there's still a lot of stuff that's happening in that neighborhood. So the question is, are they going to be better connected than other places? Because there's a lot of smart people in there trying to make the neighborhood better. Well, I, I, if I could push back, um, you did get a glimpse of what it could be yes. in the Wynwood area. Right. In that uh, we had Zika hit. That was a mosquito right. outbreak that hit a couple years back. Yes. And Wynwood basically was decimated. It was decimated. Uh, in terms yes. of all the businesses that were there. Yes. And what I will tell you in terms of the smart investors who were in there, mm. many of those would be or supposedly smart investors. Many of them aren't locals anymore. Right. Many of them are out of towners who were, you know, basically swallowed the hook. Mm-hmm. And now they have to figure out, oh, shit, what do I do with this dirt? Because uh-huh. I definitely overpaid. And if tourists aren't flocking in, how the hell do I keep my head above water? Or do I keep digging in my coffers mm-hmm. just to make sure that I maintain this property? So 
you know, who's to say how it plays out? But Zika might have been some foreshadowing uh-huh. uh, a few years back as to how what Winwood's future might be. I would say yes. I agree that Zika was a canary in the coal mine kind of situation where you saw, and you and I would, would talk about this, you know, these signs everywhere that would say like, you know, happy hour. <laughs> I forget what the numbers were, but it was like you would buy a beer for two bucks or whatever it was. Yep. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing how far restaurant tours and bars were were going to to attract people and that was just this you know like a, a glimpse of yep. this pandemic situation and the impact that it's going to have i think the difference between how winwood reacted then during zika versus now is that winwood is has matured in terms of infrastructure and by infrastructure i refer to people living there and actually people working there. Right. So the, the, the big office building hasn't opened yet. When it opens, it's going to have a lot of people, a, a lot more demand for residences because people want to live close to where they work. That's the whole point of a neighborhood like Wynwood. So it's matured. Now the question is because of pandemic, will that stop that maturation, right? The office building hasn't been completed. So, the the businesses haven't moved in yet so the question is will they move in will they open offices if they open offices will people go right it will it be that far along that people will be able to go there and actually work or will it completely you know the office design will have to completely change to adapt to what's going on right now maybe that's what's going to happen instead of one big you know i don't know i don't know what the floor plates are but whatever one tenant on an entire floor it'll be 10 tenants or 20 tenants on a floor or i don't know i don't know how they're going to adapt it's going to be interesting to see uh, well how that works one thing we do know is that it won't be we work leasing out the entire right. building because they're having their own issues oh yeah right now. we work is we work is having me <laughs> we are, are in yeah. trouble <laughs> that's what we yeah. work is right now <laughs> it's true exactly yeah. great point so so, so gentlemen, anything else you want to add before we wrap up um, episode six comments? I think we're good. I'm cool. Think- no. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for uh, participating. Uh, the audience loves it. Uh, obviously, Oscar's a big uh, has a bunch of supporters. If anybody's a fan of John, feel free to send in an email. Or if you're you dislike John, send in an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. We'll be sure to read it on the air. Thanks for listening to episode six of the Kind of Vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. That was uh, Oscar Busabai and John Fackler. We'll catch up with you next week.